the house of the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> I, uh, there's nothing like actually coming together in the house of the Lord. I know that with everything going on, there's so many that don't join in the house, but uh, but we uh, we want to continue to reach out to them and and uh, love them and pray for them. Amen. We've got a great God. We've got a great God, and uh, we want the world to know about this great God of ours. Amen. Praise God. Um, you might go ahead and be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. Um, I, uh, I'm going to just kind of go through a bunch of scriptures today, so we no need to really stand this morning for that. Uh, the uh, Brother Aaron mentioned the fifth Sunday um, right after Thanksgiving. That um, That is going to be a Thanksgiving celebration as well. We kind of thought, hey, let's... Uh, Let's do a, a Thanksgiving dinner um, with each other here. Uh, it's not Thanksgiving Day, but it's just a few days after Thanksgiving. So um, bring all of your uh, wonderful recipes and, and fatten up this turkey as much as you can. Um, did I just call myself a turkey? I did. But but anyway, um, and then we then, then we can all diet the next day and, and next few weeks to to try to prepare ourselves for Christmas. But anyway, the uh, so that'll be a Thanksgiving um, celebration as well. So please, uh, we, we want everybody to, to make it to that that can. And I know most everybody's in Sunday school now, so they'll, they, they've already been um, told that. So it's already been communicated. God bless Sister Steve's here today with us from West Bend. And uh, thank you for coming over to the beautiful side of the state. And... Uh, <clears throat> My my family and I, we went up to Door County for vacation just a couple of weeks ago, thinking that it'd still be colorful and stuff, and it was, but um, but as we were coming home, it's like, oh boy, we, we live in the most beautiful area right here, so it's kind of difficult for us to, to appreciate Door County as much as um, everybody um, talks about it, but maybe someday I'll get up there for the cherry blossoms, I don't know, but. The apple blossoms are awful beautiful around here too, but uh, it's uh, it, it's it's difficult for somebody who lives in Wisconsin to um, to, to see uh, you know a lot of things. We we love to see everything that Wisconsin has, and it's it's all wonderful and awesome. But uh, the Lake Michigan, of course, is tremendous. Uh, we 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 saw something up there, and uh, that uh, was we were driving. Uh, going over to to the lake, and we we were going through this one uh, area, and we saw all of these solar panels, just thousands of solar panels. I was trying to figure out what in the world is that. So, then we drove by a power plant. So I looked it up online and and uh, checked it all out. Well, then this morning I just happened to read about that particular station, that 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 solar station going live this last week there's over 800 acres of solar panels and uh, i was like wow this is just huge but they say it's gonna um it's gonna take care of 33,000 homes and um and we'll we'll see how that works i uh i like solar 
but I'm not fully convinced in the efficiency of solar because of the different customers that I've talked to that that are running solar. So um, I hope that it uh, it, it does well. Um, but uh, but our God is doing cool things, uh, even though the the spiritual climate of America is hanging in the balance. In fact, the spiritual climate in America is just falling off. We we need to we we need to pray like we've never prayed before. We need to seek God like we've never sought God before. Uh, this morning we we're going through a proverb and uh, and and Proverbs chapter eight and listening to it from a, a different version. And, uh, and anyway, uh, it talked about wisdom, and uh, it would be tremendous if you could uh, just, just read that and, and, and uh, listen to that often um, about wisdom. And, uh, and wisdom made itself to be almost a person in that chapter. And, uh, of course, we know wisdom is not a person, but God is the one who gives wisdom. But, uh, but anyway... Our God is trying so desperately to fill us with wisdom in the hour that we live so that we can reach the world. I, I do believe that there is a massive group of people waiting, just waiting for God to do something in their lives. <clears throat> I want to help them understand they don't need to wait. I want to help them understand you don't need to wait for God to do anything. Just jump in and start doing for God and allowing Him to to work. Um, in, in Isaiah uh, chapter forty, the the they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Uh, years ago, we we talked about that word. Wait is a verb. It's not a noun. Uh, it's a it's a verb. It's, it demands action from someone. So, uh, imagine going to a restaurant. Well, just imagine going to a restaurant at all today, right? <clears throat> but <laughs> but imagine going to a restaurant and your uh, what used to be called a waiter now they're called a server, which is actually the same thing as a waiter. Uh, if your waiter just stood there and and you were talking to them and they just stood there and they didn't do anything and they just stood there and and uh, and, and 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 finally you would you would ask what in the world are you doing and they would say i'm waiting but they're not doing anything they're waiting and we would get pretty frustrated trying to pay somebody to serve us when they are waiting they're just standing there not doing a thing that's how god feels when we are doing nothing for him we're doing nothing for him. That's how he feels. He gets frustrated because we come back and say, well, I'm just waiting for you, God. And no, you're not waiting in the, in the grammatical text. You are, you are <clears throat> supposed to be serving. They that serve the Lord shall renew their strength, not they that just sit and wait. So we have to recognize that, that what what we are trying to do in this world is we're trying to gather people that have a, a, a false idea of what waiting for God is. They're just waiting for the Lord to do something miraculous in the nation. It's like, wait a minute, hold on. The Lord's not doing anything until we step out and we start doing something. The Lord's not going to move unless we start moving. God is a noun. 
He's not doing anything unless his people do something. He's sitting and waiting. He's also a gentleman that's just going to sit and he, he'll, he'll let you destroy yourself if you choose to do that. He doesn't want you to, but if that's what we choose to do, he'll let you destroy yourself. He doesn't want you to, but he created us with the power to choose. And because he gave us the power to choose... We need to choose life, right? So we jump into this study this morning, and amazingly enough, um, I, I think that what we are going to go through this morning is is part and parcel of what we are dealing with as a nation. Where I believe we're 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 stepping into, not really stepping into. I believe we've been in a test um, in in our nation for for different things and. And so what we're, we're going to be looking at this morning was put together months ago. Months ago. Without, without me having any idea of what today was going to be. In fact, when I put a lot of this stuff together, I don't have a particular date on the calendar when I'm going to be speaking it. It just comes through my files as the way the Lord has given it to me, well, today's the day. This is what this is what I give, and uh, because this is what this is what's been prepared, and and, and of course, you, you the, the two of you, three of you in here that that know me, you know that I rarely get through a Bible study, and it has to pass on to the next week because of the the series that I'm in. I don't want to cut out and, and just jump to another lesson uh, in the Bible study. I want to just kind of follow through so we, we find an area where we cut off for the, for the week. Well, anyway, we are in the reasons that we are to love today. The reasons that we are to love, there's some very distinct reasons that we've been given from Scripture to love as expressed by John in this segment so uh brother calvin where are you with the text are you at verses 7 through 21 can we just do 7 and 8 for right now let's just do 7 and 8 and uh and it says beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, uh, we, we kind of started with this last week talking about the ETH, the suffix ETH, and how that gives the word perpetuity and, and, and things like that. So we, we covered that last week. If you have any questions on that, you can come and ask me. But, but the, the first reason, the first reason that we are to love God is because it is the nature of God. It's the nature of God. Now, we were created in the image of God. And, and, and what, what, what I personally believe is that image was tainted and skewed uh, by sin. And God had to regenerate us. And we, had to, uh, we have to receive the born again experience. We, we know about that in, in uh, water and in spirit to be born again. You have to be born of water and of spirit according to the gospel 
Gospel of John, chapter 3, and the book of Acts, chapter 2, and just about every chapter in the book of Acts. But, uh, but anyway, we, we need to be born of water and spirit that's born again so that we can be re-imaged. Because our image was skewed from the beginning. We have to be re-imaged. Now, uh, I also believe from the scripture that the image of God, John 4.24, is spirit. God is a spirit. So I believe that first and foremost, our spirit is what must be in the image of God. Most people try to say that this person right here is the image of God. God put on flesh in Jesus Christ. He wasn't flesh that came to earth. He was spirit that came to earth and had to put on flesh in order to live among us. God is a spirit. And of course, they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if we're going to be in the image of God, we have got to be spirit regenerated. Because this flesh is still going to the grave. This flesh is not, no matter how many vitamins you take and how how much balance of nature you try to absorb, you are not going to live forever in the flesh. And thank God for that. I don't, I'm only going to live to 110 years after that. I'm, I'm, I want to go. My flesh is going to be pretty eaten up by then, so it's, it's time. Okay, God, it's time. 110 years from now, it's 60. I'm, I'm down to 59 years from now. i got 59 years left. Last year I had 60, so i got 59 years left, and then I'm ready to get out of here if the Lord tarries. Otherwise, just, let's just have a rapture and get us out of here, right? I'll, I'll, I'll be good with that, too. I'm not going to say, but leave me here. For my for my hundred and ten year goal, God, no, I'm just, nope. Just get me, get me out of here. If you wanna, if you wanna take me home, take me home, Jesus. But uh, but the Greek word for beloved, let's just jump into that. The Greek word for beloved is agape. Just we we know that word from for love. It's an unconditional love. We know that uh, when it's the word love, but but it's also the word beloved in this passage as well, which is the highest form of love that can be expressed it's an agape it's an unconditional love it's a love that we cannot even conceive until we have a child then it's like whoa now i know from from a from a viewpoint of a dad it's like now i know how a father feels now, I can never imagine how a mother feels. It's got to be a lot more intense than a father because I didn't ever get up, I never got up with the kids in the middle of the night. Well, I shouldn't say that. I did many times, but most of the time I slept through everything. But uh, so I, I can't imagine the intensity of a mother, but I do know how a father feels. And if a father feels that unconditional love towards a child, the way that the way that I feel towards my babies. I kind of get a little bit of a picture of the nature of God. But let's take it another step. The Lord didn't say, love only your children that way. Uh Uh-oh. Now I can't, now, now I'm having a problem. 
Now, now I have a problem with the will of God. In my humanity, I, I'll just be, we might as well be honest. In my humanity, I am having a, a problem, a dilemma with the will of God. I can love the will of God as long as it feels good to me. But when the will of God commands me to love one another, can I choose God? Can I just choose who I want to love? Because I want to I wanna, I wanna get my, my, my group here that I want to love and, and the others that I really don't want to love, you know, I, I just want to send them to somebody else because everybody's lovable to somebody so so god can we just can we just kind of find our own little group to love no sorry that's not the nature of god i can be frustrated with others but i have to still love them it's kind of like your children you know it's love that comes from the will and tuesday or wednesday night rather excuse me we talked about the will of god from isaiah 41 and and how to pray that will of god and uh, and so it's a love that comes from the will it's so easy to will love toward your children in fact you don't you don't even have to really will it. It's just kind of there. It, it's a given. It's just, it's a given. It's a, it's a love that you give and you don't, you don't ever, I, I don't think you ever have a, a, a moment with your children that you say, well, should I stop loving them? I don't think we ever, I, in fact, in the last 21 years, of us having children, I, I, not one moment have I ever thought of stopping Loving them. I really don't think it's going to happen for me. I've had I've had struggle with you know everybody everybody their children children can hurt you so deeply. Children can really really hurt you and uh, but you know we we our our kids are wonderful awesome I have no complaints but. But they're they're still children and they've still hurt me. And and not once have I thought, well, I'm just not going to love them anymore. Not once has it ever crossed my mind. And it's never crossed God's mind to stop loving us. And Sister Jerry Joe, can you repeat that? Isn't he? How many times has the devil tried to tell you God doesn't love you anymore? How many times has God tried to tell you God doesn't love anyone anymore? How many times has the world tried to tell you, well, if God loved you, wait a minute, hold on. Just because just because humanity is so self-destructive doesn't mean God doesn't love humanity. If humanity wants to destroy themselves, you've been given a choice. The Lord doesn't like it, but 
He's going to allow you to do it. It's a, uh, this, this unconditional love, it's a, it's a habitual. It's habitual. You wake up and it's just a habit. I love my kids. I love my family. I love people. It's habitual and it's committed in such a way that it really can't be swayed or manipulated. Really can't be. Uh, how many times have you looked at looked at somebody and said, "How in the world can they love that person?" And you, you you just scratch your head because you know that it's not you know it's not a healthy relationship. You know it's a you you know it's destructive. You know it's a, it's hard. And you just sit back and say, "How in the world can they do that?" Because there's a there's a there's a commitment that that is made and from the will and 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 it really can't be swayed or manipulated and and there are people that love others that really you just will never wrap your mind around. It, you'll struggle with it and you'll you, you'll want to you, you know of course. Of course, what man is or what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. We understand that. So we can't put a wedge. We can't put a divide. All we can do is pray for the situation to change. It's the love that Jesus expressed to Peter in, in John 21, verses 15 through 17. You can read that later on. But finally... Peter actually allowed, on the third time, Peter allowed the love that Jesus was expressing to him to be matched. Peter was just comfortable with his love of Jesus being that of a general fellowship. But Jesus continued to press him for a love that exceeded fellowship. into a discipleship see we can that there are levels there are levels of walking with god most people who claim christianity they don't want anything other than a a fellowship not 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 fellowship consistently just a fellowship you know you know sunday morning type of fellowship i've got my church on sunday morning and the rest of the week i don't I don't talk with God. I don't walk with God. I don't do anything. Most people who profess to be Christians, they have a Sunday morning fellowship with Jesus. One hour is good enough. Boy, that don't, don't mess up the rest of my time. I'll give you an hour. As, as, if, as if they need to counsel the Lord for, you know, make an appointment with Him and counsel Him. And you're, you're good, God. You don't need me for another week. Wait, hold on. God never needs us. He's God. He was God long before us. He'll be God long after us. He doesn't need us. We need Him. So some people, though, it's amazing because Christianity in general, they think that God needs them on Sunday morning for one hour and then they can go the rest of their way doing whatever they want to do. And, 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 and yet, they're going to declare that heaven is their home. They won't have a clue what's going on. It's scary. There's people we need to draw in. 
So fellowship, fellowship is a is one level of Christianity. And fellowship itself, there are many levels to fellowship itself. Some fellowship is, like I said, it's, it's, you give time to somebody because, because they need it. And some fellowship is you give time to somebody because you need it. And some fellowship is you give time to people because you want to be with them. And there are people that come to the house of God on those levels. Some people come to the house of God because they, they think people need them there. They, they, I, I've got a job, I've got to go, I gotta, I, because somebody needs me. Sometimes they go because they need the community of believers. They need somebody. And other times they come to the church because they want to be here. People worship on those same type of levels. They worship God based on what God might, they think God needs. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <clears throat> Are we really going to think that God needs us? He wants us. But we need Him. So we praise God based on what we think He needs. Then we praise God based on what we need. And then, then somehow, somehow, miraculously, we get to the level we worship God because we want more time with Him. So fellowship is, is, a, is a level, but there are three big levels to fellowship. And then there's discipleship. Discipleship is where God wants us. He wants us there. Discipleship, some people view discipleship as, well, I have to do what God tells me to do. Whoa. God views discipleship as we do together because we love one another. Some people think God's just, he's a bully. He's just going to hold the billy club over us. And he's going to, when, whenever, we, whenever we look at something or, or say something or do something, he's just going to whap us alongside the head. And, um, and, and, and there, there is some chastising in Scripture, but only because God is still our Father. And discipleship does mean a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a disciplined life. Um, you you will uh, you will see that when you live inside of a discipline that you follow the 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 regulations the, the rules if you want to call it that uh, that you follow the guidelines of that particular discipline. Let's just look at emergency workers for a moment. Emergency workers. There are different disciplines in emergency workers. Those disciplines create limitations. A paramedic, 
an EMT, if they start working on you, they are only allowed to do so much. A paramedic, if they start working on you, they're allowed to do so much. A, a, a registered nurse or, or, or even a nurse practitioner, they have their limitations. And, and, and on and on it goes uh, to, to where everybody has their own limitations as to what they can do legally. And that is called a discipline. Within my discipline, I can only do so much. I might know how to uh, perform uh, an open heart surgery on you, but that's not my discipline. I can't legally do it. And then you go into law enforcement and the same rules apply there in law enforcement. Not just in emergency workers, but but in law enforcement, in fire, and all of these different, they call them disciplines. You can have 12 different people sitting in a room, and they all come from the same industry, if you want to call it that, but they all have different disciplines. And those disciplines outline what they can and cannot do legally, and even morally, and we are disciples of Jesus Christ, and He has given us disciplines. And so we have to, we have to recognize, the Lord wants us to be a disciple. He wants us to, to, to live inside of the discipline, which is the kingdom of heaven, by the way. It's, we, we live in a king, the kingdom of heaven, and, and we're, we're just here temporarily trying to get more citizens, amen, to, to come to the kingdom of heaven with us. And, and, and so, and, and so we, we have these disciplines, but inside these disciplines, if you will, it, for discipleship, to be really effective, the number one thing is love. And it's also the number one thing that humanity has a problem with. So John's encouraging the same kind of love to be present in the lives of the saints for one another. The same kind of love that Jesus was pushing Peter to embrace. He knew Peter had the capability of it. He wasn't saying, Peter, you're, on, you're, you're incapable of this. He, he knew Peter had the capability to love. He knew Peter had the desire to love. He just wanted Peter to be pushed to actually embrace it. And God will do the same thing to you. Don't think you're above the Apostle Peter. He'll do the same thing to you. He'll just kind of just because he knows that you're capable and he knows that you have a desire. Only thing he wants to do is just keep pushing you until you actually embrace it. Until you embrace that, I'm not comfortable just with fellowship. I'm not comfortable with, with, with any level of fellowship. I am more comfortable with being a disciple. I am more comfortable with being closer and closer to Jesus. The very nature, nature of God is light. 
in, in chapter 1, verse 5, we read it. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read it. <clears throat> the, the nature of God is light and life. The light of God is nothing more, uh, is nothing more than manifest truth. Or truth that's walking in our shoes. The manifest truth is really what light is. It's hard, it's really, really difficult to live any way different after you've seen the light on. You ever just walk in to a room, it's strange to you, you've never been there before, it's totally dark, and you you don't know what to expect because you've never been in there, it's totally dark, but then when you flip the light on and you take a look at everything, you can flip the light off and you can still see that room. It's not lit up, but the image is there. And you can't unsee it. You've seen it, you can't unsee it. It doesn't have to be on for very long at all for you to get a picture of the room. Then you can turn that light off and you could function a little bit inside of that dark room because you have seen it. You may not function effectively. You may bump into something that you're like, oh, I didn't realize realize it was that close. I thought it was a little further away. But you still see it in your mind. That is how walking with God is. And that's why when people backslide, they do everything they can to turn that light off because they can't unsee the kingdom once they've seen it. And it torments them. Every time, every, every time we do something against God, it torments us because we can't unsee the kingdom. Most people, it drives them to a place of repentance, as it should, right? As it should, because none of us are not none of us are above having problems. None of us are above mistakes. None of us are above regrets. None of us are above struggle. So it ought to drive us to a place of repentance and a place of healing. It ought to, and most of the time it does. But others, they just try to live in the gray where they can kind of see a little bit enough to uh, enough to be comfortable that they can still see it but but they 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 want to be far enough back away from it that they don't have to embrace it in 2020 has done a very good job of getting rid of the gray God has shown us, I truly believe, He has shown us this year that the gray is no place that we can live. We're either in or we're out. There's no gray. In a society that wants to promote the gray, live in the gray, celebrate the gray, and I'm talking about I'm talking about spiritually. Yeah. They want to live in this gray area where they can 
They, they, can, they can celebrate Jesus when it's convenient and they can live without him the rest of the time. It's just this gray area. And we are in a society spiritually that is trying to celebrate the gray. There are no absolutes. There's nothing in. There's nothing out. It's just everybody's in the gray. And God has shut off so many things that were living in the gray. And he said, you can't live there. You're either in or out. And, and, and I, for one, am grateful. I'm grateful. Because humanity needs to have the gray wiped out. If there's light, we ought to walk in it. First John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light. We ought to walk in it. It's a truth that connects the forgiveness of sin with an outward expression of devotion. The challenging portion, however, of this segment is the truth that is expressed in verse 8 of chapter, one, of chapter 4 that we read. It's challenging. The man who does not love literally does not know God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. That's a huge challenge. It's not that we don't know something about God. It's that we don't know God. God as He is. We know little bits and pieces about Him. We can get by trying to, trying to, to, trying to tell others what to do, but we, we don't know Him as He is. We, we're, we're comfortable knowing a little bit. And God is trying to discomfort us in our little bit of knowing told you this this is this is one of the biggest challenges of our day it's been a biggest it's been the biggest challenge of everybody's life for 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 since time began it's been the biggest challenge of everybody's life loving one another but today whew, in, in this hour whew, it is is huge god expresses his love to man in many, many different ways. In, in, in Psalm 145 and, and Matthew chapter 4, through common grace extended to all men regardless of their status before Him. In, in Genesis 15, in, in Acts 17, in Romans 3, in Genesis 18, He expresses through His compassion primarily in that He delays His final judgment against unrepentant sinners. He, he, he pulls back and says, I'm not going to judge you yet. I'm going to give you some more time to repent. Um, and uh, in, in Jeremiah 7, um, uh, Jeremiah 25, Ezekiel 33, Zephaniah 2, Luke 3, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Revelation 3, it, he, he expressed himself through the multiple, multiple warnings to sinners. Multiple warnings. And then in, in Matthew 11, John 7, 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 2, and I have verses and everything for all these two, but we, we're running out of time through extension of offering the gospel to the world. He offers the gospel. He says, I love you so much, I want to show you how to change your situation. 
People always ask, well, I just don't know how to change. You just don't know how to change. Pick up your Bible. <laughs> there's, there's so much that God can do with every single person. doesn't matter where we're at in the kingdom. Everyone can benefit from what God can do today. God is perfect love. He's perfect love. He has the ability to love perfectly. He literally loves the saints of God into perfection. He loves us into perfection. Remember when you first started walking with God, how imperfect it was and how the devil just beat you up and beat you up and beat you up. And, and, and then you'd have these bursts where, where everything was wonderful and you didn't hear anything from the devil for, for days, months, even years. You didn't hear anything from the devil. And, and then all of a sudden the devil comes racing back because we got too comfortable and, uh, and thought that we were invincible and bulletproof, if you will. And, and the devil comes back and he hits you again. Again, and this time when he hits you, he hits you with a whole lot more than he ever hit you with before. Right. And and the Lord says, hey, I, I still love you. Come on, I still love you. My love hasn't changed for you. But we struggle with our love for God because we thought that we couldn't be touched. It's a characteristic that becomes often present in people who've lived many, many years serving God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And verse 7 says, That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Our identity rests in that. That while we were yet sinners, the Lord died for us. And, and we're saved by grace. And even though we mess up from time to time, His love never changes. A saint of God is given to be given toward love. Simply because it's the nature of God. It's one of the most challenging conditions of our relationship with God. Because most of the time, we don't feel a problem with God. We feel a problem with humanity. But if we let that problem with humanity continue, it's going to become a problem with God. God is always going to, He's always going to give you a fellow human for you to be tested by in your relationship with Him. He's going to give you somebody to to be tested by and, and that test is not really towards that other person. That test is towards your relationship with Him. If you can, if you can love that person through it all, then you're not going to have a problem loving God through it all. Well, I do love God through it all. Well, you're being tested with others. So your love is 
Your love is on trial, if you will. It's not because God hates you. It's because He's trying to perfect us. And He gives us a brother is born for adversity. (laughs) He gives us adversity to build us. It's, It's challenging. It's the nature of God to love those who do not deserve it. Those who love selfishly, those who hoard everything to themselves, time, talent, whatever, those who discriminate and are motivated by prejudice, those who elevate themselves at the expense of others, those who steal from others, who guilty of abusing others, those who criticize and backbite and, and, uh, and, and those who gossip and that are the tail bearers, uh, those who oppose us, distrust us, those who ignore us, reject us, those who do things against us and, and persecute us, all of these actions against us will fall into the category of the unlovable. We put them there. We build our own little unlovable dumpster and we throw all of these things into it. But as we mature with the Lord, he starts really kind of poking us towards, you ought to love that person. But why God? I already threw him away. No, no, no. You need to love him. You need to love that person. But why, God? I already threw them in the garbage. They're, I've washed my hands of them. You need to love that person. I don't want to love that person. I know you don't want to love that person. That's not the point. The crazy thing is, the Bible commands us to love God. Commands us to love God. And when we are... First, believers, we live by that command to love God. Because we know if we don't love God, we're going to hell, right? So there's a little bit of fear. I I, I need to love God. I need to love God. I need to love God. So we live by that command because it's a command. But somewhere in our relationship, that command becomes not a command anymore. It becomes a desire of mine. I don't need to love God. I want to love God. I absolutely love God. The Word of God, when we start reading it, we are not in love with it at first. Because it hurts. It corrects, it steers, it bites, it it, it tells me things about myself that I don't want to hear. It's revealing things that I want to keep in the dark. It's shedding light on areas of my life that I would rather keep in the closet. So it's not something that I'm immediately in love with. In fact, when you first start coming to, to a Pentecostal church, you feel like you're just getting ripped apart all the time. Why is that preacher so mad? He's not mad. It's the Word of God doing some stuff. And it's like, oh... And then we just fall in love with it. We just fall in love with the Word of God. It's like, wow, I love this. Because we don't, we don't feel abused by it. We feel loved by it. It's still as hard as it ever was. It's still as confrontational to my soul as it ever was. It's still just as, just as 
in my face as it ever was. But now I don't feel condemned. I feel propelled. I feel motivated by it. I don't feel cut down by it. I feel motivated by it. I get excited about the Word of God. I, I want to hear it. Even though, even though it still punches like it always did. It's not, it's not driving me to heartache. It's, dry, it's propelling me on. Because it's fuel for my soul. And I love it. I love the Word of God. It's strange how it all converts. It's real strange how it converts. And the, you know the craziest part is? You want to see that happen to other people. You want to see the Word of God bite them so much that they run to the altar and get a victory. Not so they run out and head deeper into the world. You don't want to see it so, 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 so in a way that they, they feel hopeless and helpless. You want, to, you want to see it so they recognize there's hope in Jesus Christ. It's a love. It's, it's a love that, that we, we, we really can't grasp. But we, as we mature in the, in the Holy Ghost, this stuff happens. And it goes from aggravation to compassion. All of a sudden, the, the, the ones that aggravated us so much, now we feel the pity and we feel love for them. Compassion that grows as we realize that by the grace of God, those traits hopefully will get into them as well. Everybody has somebody that frustrates you to no end. They aggravate you so bad. If you, if, if you didn't have the Holy Ghost, you would have kicked them as far away as down the road as you could possibly kick them. But something gets a hold of you as you mature in the Lord and all that aggravation turns to compassion. Now, instead of wanting to inflict pain on them, you want to heal the pain that they're feeling. Because an aggravated person or an aggravating person, I should say, is a person filled with pain. And that's why they are aggravating you so much. Because they don't know where to drop that pain. But we still have an altar. Amen? We still have an altar. We can still drop the pain. Okay, so the nature of God. I, I, I took a long time on that. Let's go to the next one. Uh, verses 9 through 11, if you can put those up there, Brother Calvin. Um, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So the, the, the second point that I want to make about reasons why we ought to love one another after the nature of God, it is shown in the cross. It is shown in the cross. The, we're to be given to love because it's shown in the supreme sacrifice of Jesus hanging on a cross for us. 
years ago, and I've, I've mentioned this many, many times, years ago, um, I, I, I was uh, in, sitting in a service in, in Brainerd, Minnesota, and I, I wish I could remember the, the gentleman's name. I spent quite a bit of time with him. He, uh, he, he was kind of a country singer and, and uh, spent quite a bit of time with him. Uh, we did when we were, uh, we went up there quite a bit. And uh, anyway, he sang a song um, in church that I had never heard. He wrote the song, um, didn't know that, but he wrote the song. And he said, if I go, part of, part of the song was, if I go down, I have to go right by the cross. And that, that uh, just that little part of the, the chorus or whatever you want to call it, has stuck with me so much. If, if, in fact, I can sometimes I when I'm praying, I can I can still see that man just sitting there playing his guitar and singing that song, and uh, I can't remember anything else from the song except for that little part. And I've listened to the song a thousand times. I bought the, I bought his tape and I, I and and, uh, and I listened to that song so much, so much, so much because it, it it ministered to me. Everybody has something like that that just grabs a hold of you and. And it's just, it's not even the whole song. It's just a part of it that something about just that, just that little insert that God puts in that song, all of a sudden, boom, it speaks to you. You can totally ignore, uh, and and, uh, church services are the same way. You don't hear, none of you hear most of what the preacher says. I mean, I I sit up here and I'm just talking to myself most of the time because I know you're not listening. So, but, uh, but. But something, hopefully something that's said in, in, in the hour that we speak, hopefully you get a, a, a phrase out of it. Because I know that's how it is for music. I know that's how it is. You can, you can listen to music all day long, and, and, uh, and you can even sing it all day long, but there's one little section, maybe just a little clip of the chorus that speaks to you all day. And you've listened to the music, you've listened to seven hours of music straight and one little phrase sticks in your spirit. And I know that's how it is with, with music of people that are so talented and have so much uh, going for them and they can do, they, they, they do miraculous things with it. I know how that is, so don't think that as a, as a stupid little preacher I don't understand that, that I think that you're going to capture everything that I say. I already know, you're... You're, you checked out long ago on different things. You're thinking, man, I got this going on Monday, and I got this going, and, and I got this, and, I'm, and and everybody wants to eat this afternoon, and I'm really going to hold you as long as you can. I want to see you starve. Yeah. Just, <clears throat> just kidding. But, but the cross, the cross. If I go down, I have to go right by that cross. And just, just in prayer or in, in daydreaming, meditating, reading the Bible, uh, probably tens of thousands of times in the last 20-some years since I've met this man, I have thought of that. I've seen that picture. I don't really see him playing and singing as much as I see the image that he implanted in my spirit. I have to walk right past Jesus. 
hanging there bleeding. If I backslide, I got to look at him. If I sin, the Bible says I crucify him afresh. I have to look at him. I have to pass right by the cross. I have to be reminded. Church, you, you, if, if you're born again, you can't be a normal sinner. You can't just backslide and just be a normal sinner. You're going to be the worst. You're going to be the filthiest. You're going to you're going to be you're going to be hounded by angels, not by devils. You're going to be hounded by angels trying to draw you back. When you backslide, it's not the devil holding you out. It's you holding yourself out. Because you don't want to pass by that cross again. Because you had to pass right by the cross to backslide. And you don't want to come, you don't want to see that again. You don't want to know as the prodigal, the prodigal didn't fight with serving God. The prodigal fought with going home. The prodigal didn't want to go home because he'd have to face his father again after he'd hurt his father. Finally, after so much of the pig pen, he realized seeing dad can't be as bad as this. The Bible says he came to himself. Realized, what am I doing? I never stopped loving my father. And he went back to the father's house. That's where backsliders are. They don't really stop loving God. They just don't want to face the Father because they know they're going to have to come by the cross. They know they're going to have to see the cross and they know it's going to break them. I'd rather be broken. See in Jesus than trying to survive in the pig pen. Now it's not my love for God as much as it's God's love for me. Expression of perfect love is God's love for me. It's not so much me loving another at this point. It's me being loved by God. We are so loved by God. Romans 3, 24 through 28 says, being justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be 
a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. It's a reference to the mercy seat where the atonement for sin took place. If you recall the, the uh, mercy seat that sat on the Ark of the Covenant where the cherubim, the angels, they, 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 they had their wings coming down and right there between them was the mercy seat and, and the, the, the chief priest would go in once a year and, and put some, some blood on the mercy seat and the, and the Lord would come and speak to the chief priest once a year. And he would move, roll the sins of Israel ahead one more year, uh, and finally until until Jesus Christ came. But to, to propitiate, to propitiate, a big word to a lot of people, it means to turn away the wrath of God through the offering of a sacrifice. It means you're turning away the wrath of God. When he became the propitiation for me and for you, it turned away the wrath of God. So that you had an open road to come to Him. When we have to come to the cross again, the wrath of God has been turned away in offering us passage to the cross. He gives us passage to the cross so that we can come. So we don't have to worry about God knocking us in the head as we come back to Him. He's not going to beat us. He's not going to hurt us. He's going to embrace us because Jesus Christ has turned away that wrath so that we can come back before the Lord. So when we see the story of the prodigal, we see the father is not standing there with the same anger and hatred as his brother. He's standing there with the love of the father. He's opened opened the gate and said, come son, come. And he embraced him. He ran to his son. He embraced him while his brother is sitting there complaining the whole time. His brother doesn't have the same love. His brother doesn't have the same sacrifice. His brother, but, but, the, but, but watch, his brother had everything the father owned. The one that he's angry with has nothing but the smell of pigs on him. He's angry at him for coming home? Why would you be angry at him? Because he made it home. I I can understand being angry when he leaves, but when he comes home, we should never be angry with someone who comes back to Jesus. We should absolutely embrace them when they come back to Jesus. I know the anger of watching somebody walk away, but I never understood the anger of watching somebody come home. 
We want them to come home. Amen? So <clears throat> Jesus serves as a spotless lamb for the, for the work of atonement of sin and the life of the saint of God. And the whole message of the trail of the lamb could be understood if we just read Isaiah 53, which we will in, 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 in a few weeks, a, a month or so. But 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 19 through 21 says, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's a, that, that's a foreign word to Christians today. Reconciliation. I want to be reconciled to God, but I don't need to be reconciled to my brother. Whoa. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know the amazing thing is when you are reconciled to God, you want to reconcile with your brother? You, you want to. Because you, 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 you have such an appreciation and gratitude for God taking you in. In Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ is also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. All these passages give us an insight as, as to what the sufferings of Jesus Christ provided for us. He suffered, suffered for us. It's the kind of love that God is calling us to live in. Not that he wants us to go out and be persecuted and nailed to a tree. Not that. But he, he wants us to be, he wants us to sacrifice our love to someone. And that hurts when you give to love to someone who doesn't give it back. But imagine how much it hurt the Lord while we were yet sinners. That he gave that love to us and we didn't give it back. God uses humanity as a test to our relationship with him. If we say we love God and we love not our brother, ouch. Ouch, right? <clears throat> One of the things that becomes often forgotten about Jesus' cross is that it can <clears throat> it can bring a powerful commitment to our spiritual life of prayer and worship. People don't, they, they, they often forget that it can bring a powerful commitment to our spiritual life of prayer and worship. How often, how often do you see the cross when you're praying or worshiping? It should be often. It shouldn't just be Easter. It should be often. We don't need to hang a cross in the sanctuary for us to see the cross. 
We don't need to hang a cross around our neck for us to see the cross. I've shown, I've had people brag about the tattoo of the cross on their back. Seriously, are they ever going to see the cross? We don't need an image of the cross. We need to pray and the image will show up. That image will come to us in prayer. That image will come to us in worship. That when, when we begin to worship God, we should, we, we should see the, the death and the resurrection when we worship. Often, though, in our day, most of the worship songs are more about us celebrating the celebrity named Jesus than it is actually worshiping Jesus. It ought to be worshiping the Lord and not about us. The crucified life of a child of God should readily live out further demonstrations of the love of God. We should live out further demonstrations of the love of God. Um, as, as as we go further and further into this, I, I don't want to go any further today because I want to I want to read about George Watson, um, and it's going to take me a while to get through that. I, I haven't gotten very far at all today, anyway. But um, but uh, but George Watson, he lived between 1845 and 1924. Uh, we we talked about him earlier, just kind of brushed right through, but. Um, he wrote he wrote a devotion that uh, that was very very powerful, and um, I want to I want to read just a little little bit about that that uh, that he wrote, but I don't want to take the time to do it today um, because it's gonna it, I've, I've got so many comments on it that that uh, it's just gonna take us too long to get through so. I want to probably stop there for the day. And if you'll stand with me. The the nature of God and the cross of Jesus Christ are two of the several reasons we're going to go through of why we need to love one another. The cross was more about God loving us. But it ought to turn into us sacrificing for others. It's easy for us to sacrifice for our children. It's a given. It's easy. That's, that's easy. We, we work hard. We, 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 do, we do everything we can to sacrifice for our children so our children have a, a, a decent um, life and a decent lifestyle we sacrifice so easy to sacrifice for our children but when it comes to sacrificing for your brother or sister or or anyone else it, it becomes a conflict to us doesn't it it's a very it's very conflicting because what's one of the first things that we recognize is they don't deserve it right we we, we come up with the whole idea they don't deserve it um 
and I, I understand that. I've even said that probably tens of thousands of times myself. But then I sit and I pray and it bothers me. And I think I don't deserve anything that I get from God. So for me to say somebody else doesn't deserve anything, it's just, that's my, that's my carnal flesh, it's my human nature, that's immature Christianity, and I need to get that in an altar and realize that I don't deserve, I don't even deserve the air that God gives me to breathe. I don't deserve anything from Him. And for me to turn that around and say somebody else doesn't deserve anything, it convicts me. It bothers me. Even though I have a list of reasons why they don't deserve it. I can I can bullet bullet point a whole bunch of reasons why. I'm sure God can bullet point a list that's ten times longer of reasons why I don't deserve anything. We don't we we don't sacrifice for others because they deserve it. We sacrifice for others because they're others. They are others. Because God tells us to love one another. That's why we do it. And we get so frustrated. I get frustrated. And we, it's not that we sacrifice for others um, to, to baby them and enable them at, at some point. They've got to start doing for themselves. We all know that. God knows that. God tells us that. I'm not talking about a welfare system here where we just where everybody just gives everything away. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how we we still need to learn how to to work and do so we can pass on what others have put in us. Instead of uh, uh, the world wouldn't go very far if we were all just takers and never givers. We wouldn't get very far. We wouldn't have gotten this far. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I praise you and I give you glory today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, because of your nature. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, because of your cross. Lord, without the nature of God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know you at all. And without the cross, I definitely wouldn't know you because I wouldn't even exist. 